0: It's your Thursday daily delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Glad to have you guys back for another day. You know, when I was trying to decide on what to do for today's show, it, it ended up being pretty negative. The the bulk of today's show will be kind of on the dueling collapses of the Twins and Minnesota United. I'll have Lavelle Enele the third, Star Tribune columnist, longtime Twins beat writer, on the show to talk about the Twins, talk about what happened this year, and you know. To, to, to Lavelle's point, more about what uh, what the Twins can do in 2023 to turn this thing around. And he's a little bit more optimistic about this team than I am. Thinks that they just ran into a lot of bad luck this season. If they can change a few things around, that they should be able to get into a spot where they're in a better place in 2023. And we'll see about that. But bottom line is, this is a team that was in first place for a lot of the year. Was tied for first at the, end of, or at the beginning part of September. And finished 78 and 84. That season officially ending with a win Wednesday, but uh, nothing left to play for. 78 and 84 was their final record. And I'll also talk with Jerry Zagota, covers Minnesota United for the Star Tribune. Loons in the midst of a terrible slump. They've been outscored 14 to two in their last six matches. Not surprisingly, five losses and a draw in that mix just wanted to get to the bottom of what's going on with Jerry um you know talking about that with him and also just the opportunity that's still ahead if they win or draw on Sunday they still get into the playoffs because of their better work at the beginning of this season and so an opportunity still ahead for them can they pull this season out and what happens if they don't first though a little something not quite so negative what did I miss Luis Ariz you probably didn't miss this but Luis Ariz from the Twins wins the AL batting title, becomes the fifth different Twins player to win that award. And since the Twins moved to Minnesota in 1961, in those 62 seasons since then, almost one quarter of all the American League batting titles have been won by a Twins player. A lot of those, of course, Rod Carew, but a bunch for Tony Oliva, three for Joe Maurer, and the one for Kirby Puckett. That was a great stat in Patrick Royce. He's calm today. He caught up with um, Mauer and Carew and Oliva talking about you know, just what it means to enter that exclusive club. I would encourage you to go read that column. Some really good comments from all three of those left-handed batting legends, just like um, just like Luis Ariz. But I wanted to just pause for a minute and talk about the value still of hitting for average these days. I know it gets downplayed a little bit now as everyone's kind of going for the the three true outcomes: the home run, the OPS. You know the Hitting for hitting for a lot of power, lifting the ball out of the ballpark, or getting a walk. Well, Luis Ariz is kind of a throwback in that regard, right? He hits for a high average, doesn't hit for a ton of power, doesn't strike out much at all. In fact, in his career and this season, had more walks than strikeouts. This year had 50 walks and just those 43 strikeouts this season. But I think the real value of a player like that, in addition to just you know being around you know around the bases a lot, is that's a guy that people just don't want to pitch to, particularly in clutch situations. You need players like that in your lineup. Everybody can't be the same. Did you know Luis Arias hit 366 with runners in the scoring position this season? 34 for 93. Did you know he hit 374 with runners on base? 374. Uh, batting average, that's uh, how many hits was that? 73 hits and 195 at-bats. Did you know that with runners on third and less than two outs, he hit 714 with a 1.754 OPS. He was almost guaranteed to knock that runner in in one way, shape, or form. That is valuable. You know, I I know home runs probably over the course of a season are more valuable. That's been determined but if you just have an entire lineup of only home run hitters, of only guys who are kind of all or nothing, that that leaves you vulnerable, I think, to a certain degree, to some some slumps, some things along the way where you just aren't going to be able to sustain offense. You need players like Luis Araiz... Like you know, like Rod Carew used to be, like Joe Mauer used to be. I mean, Mauer hit for a little bit more power, obviously, than a rise, uh, especially in his MVP season, and had some more pop. It was more of an average, average kind of hitter going for batting average instead of anything else. And you know, like I said, this isn't going to revolutionize baseball. We're not going to go back to a whole bunch of hitters like Luis Arise, but having one guy like that on your team, or at least one guy like that in your lineup has a lot of value. And I think we need to recognize that and the accomplishment of Louisa Rise this season.
1: Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7
0: gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play
1: together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day.
0: All right, let's talk twins right now with Lavelle E. Neal the third, columnist from the Star Tribune, longtime twins beat writer. Before that, Lavelle, you had a column in Wednesday's paper and on StarTribune.com, Five things that must happen this offseason for the twins to you know essentially get back into where they want to be at the start of 2023. And I thought your first one was interesting about making changes to the medical and performance staff. And it seems like you feel like this is maybe the biggest key just in terms of you think they have the talent, but the talent needs to be on the field.
1: Yeah, exactly. And you know, some of these issues go back uh, to last year. I mean, that's when Randy Dobnak had a finger issue uh, and uh, he still hasn't recovered from that. You know, <laughs> Stay Shack broke down then too and, and kind of carried on into this year. Um, And I know that I'm sure there's some competent people, part of that staff there, but something went haywire here. When you pull a groin muscle like Bailey Ober did and it knocks you out to September, that's a problem. When you have like knee surgery like Miguel Sano did and and you're never seen again, you know, that's a problem. Um, Have a starting pitcher pull a hamstring twice in one season. You know, that's an issue. Um, I don't know if it's how... If, if there's an application problem, if it's a diagnosing problem, or or what. But the Twins have overhauled their staff once already. Um, they invested heavily into being, bringing a guy from the Mayo Clinic at Chris Camp to oversee um, high performance. And all we've seen is uh, high performance on the injury list. So <laughs> this needs to be addressed.
0: Yeah, you had a good stat that uh, the Twins entered earlier this week, they were leading the American league. I imagine that's still true. Now With 32 players on the injured list, which is astounding. And that's more than a 20, you know, 27 man roster, 26 man roster, 2,344 days lost because of injuries and obviously some more impactful than others, but you know, we had, you know, they had Buxton again, miss a lot of time this year, but the other ones you mentioned, I think were notable. Like Bailey Ober was a good example because he pitched pretty well this year when he was healthy and you kind of forget about some of these guys when they are out for so long. And you 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 know, I mean, when you're putting a triple A roster on the field as they often have been in August and September, you are going to lose more often than you win.
1: No doubt. No doubt. And the fact is too, for the twins to get better, they need the Bailey Obers and the Josh Winders and the Joe Ryans of the world to get innings, to eat innings, to face hitters, to get experience and to grow. And, um, you know, having these breakdowns and setbacks, you know, are not helping Winder or Ober one bit. Now Ober's come back and he's pitched well. He pitched it to the eighth inning uh, against Cleveland, I want to say, uh, last week. And so, you know, there's promise there. So they, they've got to put these guys in a position where they can get on, on, the, on the mound and show what they can do and show they can be part of the future here. I You know, I like the talent that, winder has but you know I like to see him stay on the field so he can show show it off a little bit more so uh.
0: you also want them to restructure the bullpen which makes a lot of sense I mean I feel like part of the problem this season was that if you're going to have a pitching plan where you're taking guys out after five innings sometimes even less in the case of mm-hmm. Chris Archer you need to have a pretty good plan in the bullpen it just felt like they were an arm or two short all year and even when they tried to address it at the trade deadline it didn't quite go how they wanted it to so um, what, what's your, what's your bullpen plan? How do you, how do you get that done?
1: Yeah. I mean starting to see, you know, taking a flyer and some crafty veteran like Joe Smith. I don't want to see that. I want to see them go after like a higher caliber, uh, re- reliever type. Um, you know, I even threw out Brad hand as an option, um, cause he can't get right handers out. Although I think this year for Philadelphia, he was more of a one or two batter guy, but he still knows how to get guys out. And that would help move the chains. Um, in the sixth or seventh inning, uh, plus he's a local guy. So I threw it out there because people like the, the local kids. You know? We do like
2: the local
0: um, guys.
1: They've got to make it some a good bullpen, um, especially if Alcala comes back from his uh, elbow issue and is back in mm-hmm. that mix there, because mm-hmm. now you got Alcala, Lopez, and Duran, There's three hard-throwing guys there uh, in the final three innings. But, you know, I, I want another arm. Um, you hope that Rocco is not put in a situation where he has to pull starters after five innings as much as he did this year. um, We do have to remember that there were times where he tried to let guys pitch six and sometimes seven innings and they would immediately get in trouble and he had to go to the bullpen. So it's not like uh, it's a hard, fast rule that, you know, after you get two times through the order, you're out. But his red, his warning signs started flashing when you try to pitch a a third time through, all of a sudden a couple of guys get on base. So, but for those days that you need to cover twelve outs with that bullpen, you better have some good arms coming out of coming out of that from your relief corps. So I like to see them add or either trade for or sign one more quality arm out of that bullpen to to go with the mix. And you know it's I mean it's like I said it's not it's not a terrible mix whatsoever. I mentioned I mentioned Duran, and you know Matt McGill throws hard. He's got promise. Um, Who else I got here on this list? You know, Griffin Jackson is service, a serviceable guy, you know, so it's not hopeless. Phil Barr, good against lefties. I know Giovanni Moran's probably on the development program, but just give me one more guy there. And then I think next year's bullpen could be a force.
0: Now, part of the mystery of this season was the mid year departure of Wes Johnson and whether or not he had to leave when he did at the end of June or whether that could have waited until the end of the year. But Whatever the case, um, you noted and we've all written that the staff ERA ballooned in July and the pitching staff really hasn't been the same since then to a large degree. The bullpen had a little bit of a better stretch in August for a while. But, you know, filling that role and also figuring out, you know, why Wes Johnson left and making sure that doesn't happen again has to be a top priority, too.
1: Yeah, um, and I think, you know, they had no choice but to put Pete Mackey in that role um, because it's really be hard to hire someone from outside the organization or from a cod program uh, if you end up going that route or yeah, at that point know, for sure you know so they had to kind of ride out with the interim guy in Mackey but now they get to conduct a thorough search they can, they can, they can go look at their system they can look at other organization systems they can look at the college ranks again and find who they think is the best leader for that pitcher staff because as I pointed out you know pitching coach is probably the second most important uh, position on the pitch staff, on a Coaching staff next to the yes. manager. So uh, I expect the Twins to have a very thorough uh, search and, and find uh, a quality candidate to, to, uh, to replace Wes. No offense meant toward Pete Mackey.
0: No, no, he's put in a tough spot, though. Um, a couple other things on your list, and I want to ask you some bigger picture questions as well. Um, <clears throat> you say lock up Luis Arise. That could be the easiest one. Buy out some arbitration years. He is your AL Central I'm sorry, your American League batting champ this year had a very good season, had some injuries he had to fight through towards the end. But, you know, proving that he is you know, going to be the kind of hitter that can be a mainstay in your lineup uh, for, for years to come.
1: Yeah, and the thing that impressed me about him this year, um, there was concerns from within the organization that uh, Arias has to work out harder than everyone else to be average. And when he doesn't do that, he has a potential – of gaining weight and getting soft. Um, Arias went down to the Dominican during the offseason and worked out with Nelson Cruz and came back in the best shape of his career. Um, he looks like his body was firmer and you can tell you put in the effort. So on top of the fact that one, he's a good hitter, two, he's great in the clubhouse, and three, uh, he physically put himself in a position to be effective. I mean, he's checking off all the boxes as to what uh, you want out of a player before you ink them to a multi-year deal. So I think he's earned it. I think he deserves it. I think the Twins, and that should be easy negotiation, too. It's not like he's going to want $15 million a year. Um, they should be able to no. balance his arbitration years for something reasonable and they move forward.
0: Now, you want them to find an ace. That was number five. Again, easier said than done. But if they don't spend money on Carlos Correa or another shortstop, there could at least be something in the budget for that. But again, easier said than done, right?
1: Yeah, Jacob DeGrom, the rumors are that he wants $40 million a year. Um, Kershaw would be a free agent, but the rumors are he's going to either stay with the Dodgers or go home to Texas and pitch for, like, the Rangers or someone like that. Um, Justin Verlander would be the only guy. Now, he's got a player option for $25 million, I believe, to come back next year and pitch for Houston. Uh, I, I can see him opting out thinking that he's going to be a thirty or $35 million pitcher. Um, I can see the Twins – you know, tossing three times thirty, maybe three times thirty-five at Verlander for three years, you know, and see if he takes it. He's the guy that wouldn't need an eight-year contract, which I think the Twins are averse right. to offering. But maybe for three years at thirty something million, you you'd have Verlander as the as the crafty guy. I mean, you're asking a lot from him to like be a high-flying ace, but he would still be an impact starter for that rotation that you could um, you could um, you know, uh, uh, you can be careful with during the regular season. So he's got bullets left for, uh, the postseason.
0: Verlander will be 40 when next year starts too. So you got to watch yes. out for that. But again, he's not showing any signs that he's slowing down, but sometimes those guys do reach a, a leveling off point, uh, you know, kind of happens fast. So I'd be a little bit wary of that, but he is still a, a great pitcher and would change their rotation, at least in the immediate, uh, immediate, uh, future, couple minutes left for you, Lavelle, um, you know, bigger picture, as we think about who is making these decisions, all of the key stakeholders sound like they'll be back. Derek Falvey, Thad Levine, Rocco Baldelli, they've all been given various votes of confidence and affirmations that they will be backed by, you know, whoever their bosses are. Do you trust this chain of command to make these changes that you think are necessary?
1: Yeah. I mean, um, the Falvey and Levine have not been afraid to make a deal. I mean, the one thing they've done much more frequently than previous uh, GM regimes is that um, they like to make trades. They like to be part of the baseball economy. Um, you know, Favi was with Cleveland when they made a trade with the San Diego Padres and got a guy named Corey Kluber thrown in, and Kluber ended up being, you know, a, a, a very good pitcher for them. So he understands that, and he's going to try to, and he's going to try to attack um, the pitching situation. You know, he he's tried to establish a pipeline and a pipeline, you know, had a couple leaks in the last couple of years. And uh, yeah. Played a part in that, you know, but you look at next year, he's going to have a bunch of young guys who are, who are going to be banging on the door to, to be part of rotation. Um, you know, uh, Joe Ryan, Bailey over Josh Winder, Louis Varland, Cole Sands, uh, Simeon Woods, Richardson, Jordan Balazovic shaking off a bad year. So, it's about here, you know, this wave that um, they're working to have is about here. So um, I, I, I think they can make the right moves to, to help this team. And I got to give them credit. Cause they've, they've not been afraid to go out and try to make uh eyebrow raising moves um, trading for uh, signing Nelson Cruz, uh, signing Josh Donaldson, uh, trading Josh Donaldson <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> to try to, to try to get better, you know? Um, so I, I think they're going to, you know, look at this year and try to knowing that they have a, a got a good roster coming back and then try to supplement some spots in that roster. So, and as much as fans are sickened by Rocco's uh, insistence on not letting pitchers go deep in games, which once again, I'll say that it's not as bad as uh, some people are making it out to be. Um, he has been to the playoffs twice uh, since becoming a manager and you got to be doing something right there um, to, for that to happen. And, Usually, a bad manager would um, would accelerate losing and make a, a good team look mediocre. And you tell me with the roster Rocco trotted out there, you know, with um, John, uh, Celestino playing a huge amount of time in center field, having to call up Jermaine Palacios, um, using Garlic more than he wanted to, using the Gordon more than we expected. Although Gordon right. ended up being a nice player, you know, he had to uh, a lot of plates were spinning on him this year. He had to try to put together a, a battler order day in and day out. So uh, I just think that it's a good group and uh, they deserve a shot to see this through.
0: Yeah. I'm a little more skeptical about 2023. I just, I don't see it all coming together because sometimes the thing we forget about is you, you say, well, you got to, you got to fix this, fix that. But that also assumes the things that went well this year will go well again. And that's not always the case. I feel like it's a pretty important year next year. I mean, Dave St. Peter talked about, you know, attendance being down this year, how it didn't, didn't come up the way he maybe thought it would and they're still dealing with some of this tv stuff with you know not sure what the broadcast situation is going to be like in 2023 like there's kind of an organizational i don't say crossroads is the wrong word but you know they they by contending for a while this year i feel like they bought themselves some grace but i think people are going to want to see it in 2023 and i'm not sure it's it's going to be all the way there yet but we'll i guess we'll find out
1: it's a big offseason for them to see what type of season ticket uh, push they get and I think group sales took a hit last year because it was still emerging from pandemic. And that drives a lot of those, those attendance figures. And they should be able to get the, uh, the attendance, uh, uh, the group, the group sales flowing again. Um, we're going to have an in-face diamond awards banquet. We're going to have a, they're going on a twins caravan again. So um, they're getting back to normalcy in terms of off season maneuvers and reaching out to the community. And maybe that will help pick things up. Plus, I think slowly but surely people are going to be more comfortable coming downtown to watch baseball at night and knowing they can go home safely, especially when you're going to have a pitch clock. And now games are probably going to end yes. at 10 o'clock instead of 1030.
0: I think I that's going to make a difference. I will like that, and I'll like fewer games against all the dregs of the AL Central, even though that might uh, might drag their record down a little bit overall. That's a, some big things in 2023. Lavelle E. the III will be there to chronicle a lot of them as a columnist for the Star Tribune. Lavelle, thanks so much for joining me here today on Daily Delivery, and uh, let's talk again soon.
1: All right, thanks for having me.
0: You know, while I'm not as optimistic as Lavelle is about next year's Twins, I think he makes a good point about the medical stuff. If they can get that piece figured out, and that's a big if, especially with guys like Byron Buxton who have spanned multiple medical approaches and still seem to wind up on the injured list all the time. If they can figure out especially how to keep their pitching healthier, to not have these guys miss two, three months with injuries that seem like they should be a few weeks, that would be a big deal because they do have some arms that you would think could make up a pretty good rotation. Can they keep those guys healthy? Can they keep their A lineup on the field more often than not? If they can, I think they at least have a chance to warrant the sort of optimism that Lavelle is asking you to have. As part of Collapse Thursday on Daily Delivery, I'd like to welcome Jerry Zagoda onto the podcast. He covers uh, the Minnesota United for the Star Tribune. That team uh, fell apart pretty much just as dramatically as the Twins did over the last five, six weeks. The difference being, Jerry, that even after going 0-5-1 in their last six matches and being outscored 14-2 in the process, they still... Do manage to control their own playoff destiny going into the Sunday 4 p.m. home match against Vancouver. Um, so, luckily for them, the season is not six games long; it is 34 games long. And in the first 27, they did enough work to still put themselves in this position. Um, that said, what is the uh, what is the state of the club going into decision day?
2: Oh, well, it's crazy, isn't it? And uh, that's a, a phrase from uh, Adrian Heath yesterday. The fact that all oh, that has transpired these last six games or six weeks, and they're, they're still in position not to only make the playoffs, but they could still get a home field uh, first-round So um, weird, weird league. I mean, a, a year ago, I don't, I, I'd I forgotten this, but they got into the playoffs. They were the first team since 99, I think, when the league was much smaller and more teams made the, the playoffs. They were the um, uh, first team since then to lose the first four games of the season and still come back and make the playoffs. This year they're doing it uh, the reverse, coming in through the back door.
0: Yeah, um, we can get into some of the the what's going on, how how they've lost, you know, five of the last six, had a draw in the other one. Um, run run me through the scenario. So if you're just looking at the standings, you might be like, wow, these teams are very tightly bunched. But the the odds and the the you know the the tiebreakers really do still work in their favor to the point that all they need this weekend is a draw against Vancouver um, which seems like a very possible outcome even as much as they've struggled lately Vancouver down at number nine in the standings right now and if like I said if the Loons just get a draw they will still make the playoffs in some way shape or form
2: but if you're a believer in momentum you got the, the Loons 05 and one with the uh, Whitecaps have won three in a row all of them at home granted not on the road in a, in a playoff game but certainly two teams going in opposite directions so but as you said yeah they can still make the uh, playoffs thing. It's the, with now where they would end up is basically four teams fighting for two spots left. So, but up until now, everybody's been pretty kind to them. People have won when they needed to them, lost or draw when they needed when needed. And they're still in it. Still in the thick of it. They're still in seventh place.
0: And like you said, an opportunity to even still get a home match in the playoffs. They would need to win on Sunday and then have, I believe, Portland, Nashville, and the galaxy all lose. Portland would at least have to draw in that scenario. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of possibilities there, at least uh, for, for them to still jump up and grab, you know, even a, a, a top four seed, which it seemed like they were firmly in control of, you know, at least having that be a strong possibility earlier in the season. So I think we need to talk more now about the, the why and, you know, it's, it doesn't sound like Adrian Heath, their manager has a whole lot of kind of Answers right now as you've watched them. What what has gone wrong in these last six matches?
2: Well, one they don't have a, a you know a, a guy you can count on to score goals. They don't have a guy to to just make something out of nothing. You know they have had some some other things going on. You know they had Reynoso with the suspension, and you've had Robin Lud hurt. i not sure where they have to can play him or have to play him. But uh, by and large, they haven't had guys who they need to. Score goals, Amari, Fragapani, you know, uh, Bong, Bongi got hurt, and he's out. Now they're relying on uh, Garcia. So um, uh, you look to that, like you mentioned, they were at, what outscored 14-2, to two, you said? In, yeah, the, in and, the last six, you know, yeah. Up until that, they were what? They'd lost one time, I think, in 11 games. So that's when guys like Fragaponi and Reynoso were, were uh, really playing well together. If, if you get them going, they're a completely different team. And then I think it's underestimated how much uh, Makaidevassy's injury hurt them. Yeah, their their back line isn't what it was. Not nearly as uh, resilient um, as it was with uh, before he had the season ending injury. So not to make excuses for him, but I think there are there are factors in there of uh, uh, just what happened. And there were games they you know they could have or should have won. You know, probably that LAFC with it ended up being a draw. They probably deserved to win that. And then there are a couple of games they were just. They were just terrible, including last time out in San Jose. I don't know how you can explain that with everything on the line. They just looked lifeless.
0: Well, yeah, and after that game, Adrian, he said he was asked how the team doesn't have enough energy to win that game. He said, I wish I knew. Maybe it's the makeup of some of the people we've got. Maybe we have to look at that. I don't know if that was. They love that on Twitter what's it
2: they love that quote on Twitter
0: I bet they did I don't think uh, I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that made the rounds what did you make of what did you make of that just a coach that's frustrated and doesn't really seem to know why his team has fallen apart at this point
2: yeah probably something you should have said you know don't quite point the finger there when it could be you know he's the guy who put this team together too and he's coaching it and uh, I asked him yesterday how do you ensure that what happened last weekend doesn't happen he goes I can't you know, you prepare them the best you can, and send them out there, and, you, and basically, you see what happens. So, uh, it's just—it's just been a really weird season. I mean, it started out uh, early in the season, not not good. And then they got that 11-game streak where they only lost once. and Now you're back. It's just up and down, and down. Um, very, very weird year.
0: How much do you think? I mean, Dane St. Clair was playing at. You know, certainly an all-star level, almost an all-world level earlier in the season. And it's not like this is all his fault. But you know, 14 goals allowed by the team in the last six matches, and they only scored two. So, you know, the offense certainly bears uh, some of that burden as well. But how how much do you think he was covering for some of their mistakes earlier in the year by making some pretty spectacular saves and keeping the the sheet clean, so to speak?
2: Yeah, well, they haven't had one now since what, was it June, or I can't even remember how long it's been. A long time since they. They've had a clean sheet, and I think he cleaned up, like you said, he cleaned up a lot of their errors. I think their errors have gotten bigger with the bossy out now, and um, and he just hasn't covered them. Some of them, uh, I don't even remember what game was there. One, one game where he had a couple times where he you know, had the chance to smother, smother the ball, and it came right out and ended up, uh, I think, both in goals, but uh, certainly not characteristic. You know, he only had that game right before the All-Star game. That was a stinker, but um, – Still, I don't think you can you can blame it on him, but uh, I think it, certainly he, he hasn't saved them as much lately as he did earlier in the year.
0: And like we've talked about, there's obviously still an opportunity to rescue this season to a certain degree. You make the playoffs, you still feel relatively good about yourself. And then once you get into the playoffs, anything can happen. Like we've talked about, this team has been up and down enough, like it's not... Wouldn't be a shock, even though we've watched them struggle lately, it wouldn't be a shock to see them get into the playoffs and start playing better and maybe win a game or two. And then all of a sudden the narrative changes, but let, let's just kind of play devil's advocate for a minute. Let's say they lose on Sunday or even let's say they, they draw and then they go and get, you know, blown out in the first round of the playoffs. Like how do, what, what changes or how, how do they, how do they make enough changes to make sure this, you know, doesn't happen again, in 2023 and beyond because you know we've got other people with the heath out hashtags on twitter and they've been after him for for years but he just got a contract extension like three months ago it doesn't seem like that's the place to start but where do you start
2: well that's a good question i mean i i you know i, I think a lot of people would think he would start there but that contract extension certainly complicates things I, I just pragmatically i don't see them doing them and uh dr bill mcguire and the, the ownership group have been pretty um Behind Heath, you know, through, through all this, even when they've had, had the tough times. Um, you know, I think they have to go back and look. I think we'll go back and look at the, the back line, see what they can do to, to add add people. You know, who better do they need around them and around, uh, Reynoso than around Renoso than they, they have now? You know, a, a guy like Fragapani hasn't, hasn't really delivered, at least not consistently, what they had hoped he would. You know, do you wait for these couple young guys to, to grow up and, you know, Bongi and uh, Menger Garcia and going um, a blank on, on the third guy, but uh, see those, you know, wait and see those uh, how they come and, and grow up because they've, you know, had this weird mix of adding uh, older players and then getting these young, mostly South American players, 23, 24, 25, which uh, Reynoso is just kind of moving out of that for that uh um, age range, but you know they they signed him to a new contract, three years plus fourth an option. But that's going to go by pretty quick. You know you got to put good guys around him and good players around him to make make sure they utilize him signing that contract in the time quickly to to cash in on it.
0: A couple more things for you, Jerry Zagota, talking Minnesota United soccer big match Sunday decision day, win or draw they are in the playoffs, lose they are out. Um, as we think of status report, how, how are they doing health wise? And I, I believe they've got some, uh, they believe they've got a suspension still going into this game too. Do they not?
2: Yeah, they've had exp- uh, suspensions all through this. And that's one thing he says they're going to have to address at the end of the season. He kind of said a lot of it was with the South American guys in terms of emotion. He doesn't mind it if it's like a hard tackle or a play on the ball, but if it's, delay of game or yapping at the officials. He has trouble with that, especially this late in the season when you lose Reynoso and now curving Ariaga for, for Sunday's game. And then they're still waiting to see on blood who has Robin Ludd, who has been doing some uh, warming up before training this week, but he hasn't participated in the, in the actual training and probably won't until Friday or Saturday. And I don't know if that's enough time. I think they might have to win a game or maybe even two to get him back out there and see what he can do.
0: Well. You've been around enough teams to to kind of see how momentum works, and sometimes it's just you know one goal can change a a, a season around and things like that. Um, any predictions for Sunday? I mean, this team has been in in some pretty rough shape. They've, like you said, they've played some decent matches in between there, including that one against LAFC. How do you think they come out on Sunday? Well,
2: it's been no, don't call me a homer, but it's been such a weird year. I just got a feeling that you know maybe they just they just turn the dial again and go in the opposite direction after going 0-5 and one they beat Vancouver. Who knows? Maybe they win one game in the playoffs. Um, I just think it's been a, a weird enough year that wouldn't surprise me at all. If all of a sudden you see a completely different team. Now, certainly that could change and they could, you know, get out of there three, nothing, but uh, uh, losers or whatever, but Vancouver does have a three game winning streak, but they've all been home games. This is supposed to be the big, I think they're aiming to have the biggest crowd ever. I think they're selling some standing room and they're looking for the biggest crowd ever. They're planning on the quote unquote blackout. They're asking uh, people to wear black for the game. Now that's a little tricky because you could say that might be for morning if it doesn't turn out.
0: (laughs) Yes. The 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 funeral of the season. Yeah. But, but we'll see. We always will see. Should be a fun Sunday. I think it's four o'clock. So Right. After and all, the, you know, all the
2: games, all the Western games start at the same time. All the Eastern games right. are Central and all the Western games at four o'clock. So this is all going to be going on. And if you remember last year, they were playing the galaxy and when uh, Salt Lake pulled one out of their uh, backside late in the game, you, you knew one of those teams, LA or uh, Minnesota was going home and the galaxy had to get a goal and, and win. And, and the Loons just had to hold on for a tie and they did. So maybe you'll get another one of those things where the last five minutes are going to be um, the whole season, basically.
0: Man, that should kick off about an hour after the Vikings play. The Bears should be a good Sunday of sports viewing. Uh, Jerry, appreciate it. As always, follow Jerry Zagota's coverage, Start Tribune, starttribune.com. And uh, we'll see if we have more loons soccer to talk about next week or not. I look forward to it. Ultimately, I'm not sure how much value there would be in just making the postseason if the Loons can squeak in you know, with a tie on Sunday and then just get run in the first round of the MLS playoffs, but it certainly does beat the alternative of collapsing all the way to the bottom, and we'll see if they can do that on Sunday. Hope the show wasn't too negative for you today. Just trying to bring you a dose of reality. That's what's been going on with those two teams in the last month. We'll try again to be a little bit more positive on Friday. Ben Gessling joins me to talk about the 3-1 and Vikings. Until then, enjoy your day. I'm Michael Rand. Back at it again tomorrow.